0: Claim this discount by going to PhotographyCourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join PhotographyCourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Are you interested in black and white photography? We recently created a mini course for anyone who wants to take amazing black and white photographs, both indoors and outdoors. It's essentially a crash course made up of 11 lessons that will introduce you to the genre, inspire you to try new things, and help you take amazing photographs, all within a short period of time. The current price is $19. We'll increase the price on January 1st, so make sure to take advantage of this amazing deal right now. Check out the link in the show notes to find out more. I look forward to helping you take your black and white photography skills to the next level. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with nature photographer Sarah Marino. Sarah is an incredibly talented photographer with a very diverse portfolio. She often photographs landscapes and something that she calls small scenes which you'll find out about in this episode if you're not familiar with the term. We talk about business, how to build a mailing list, and much more. Please enjoy. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Great Big Photography World podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah,
1: it's so great to be here with you. Um, I love having these kinds of conversations. So I was really happy to see an email from you in my inbox. Uh, So my name is Sarah Marino, and I am a nature photographer. And I consider that to include everything from grand landscapes under fantastic skies, to little tiny things like random photos of lichen taken with my macro lens. So from big stuff to tiny stuff. Um, and I am based in a small town in southwestern Colorado. So about six years ago, I moved from an urban neighborhood in Denver to a town of about 900 people. So that's been a transition that's been interesting for my photography and just my life in general. Um, I think we might talk about some of those things later. So I'll Uh, Skip that for now. But uh, other than uh, those basic introduction things, I I can also add that my photography business focuses mostly on things like teaching photography to others through speaking and teaching at conferences. And I also consider myself a writer. And um, I'm probably best known for some of my ebooks, like Beyond the Grand Landscape, uh, which I wrote, I think, co authored actually with my husband probably about eight years ago and I'm in the process of hopefully turning that into an actual book totally redoing it and turning it into a physical book so writing teaching speaking uh, and then taking a lot of photographs so I think that's that's a pretty good overview of who I am and uh, what my connection is to photography
0: when you do all of those things beautifully you wear many hats that's a very impressive resume Yeah, that's the nature of owning a small business, right? Is like you have to be
1: everything. You have to be the marketing person, the finance person, uh, the driver, the person that cleans up and the photographer and the writer. So yeah, but but that's one of the things I love about this business is lots of diversity.
0: Every day is different. So it works. It's really exciting. And your husband is also a photographer, right?
1: Yeah, he is. So uh, Ron Coscarosa is his name. And we actually met through nature photography. He has a full time job. So he's a software engineer uh, in a fully remote job. And then I work full time on my photography, but uh, that's a passion that we share. So it's, it's really nice to be married to somebody who is very interested in nature photography, but also the same kind of nature photography that I'm interested in. So if I'm interested in spending 45 minutes photographing plants on the side of a trail, he's usually interested in maybe trying the same thing or going and finding uh, something else to keep himself busy, where as I think even some nature photographers aren't interested in, in that kind of thing. So it's great that we have the same approach and are willing to slow down and take our time to photograph some strange things sometimes.
0: <laughs> that's really beautiful yeah it's amazing uh I mean some people have photographer partners who are interested in very different things which I think is also nice but I think it's the best situation when you and your partner have a similar taste <laughs> in <photography>. yeah
1: yeah <laughs> like so we like the same places we like the same kinds of subjects so um even though our photography looks pretty different um in terms of uh, the style and the subject this very specific subjects we choose there's of course some overlap but so it's different enough to have kind of independent identities but then also similar en- enough when we're in the field we really enjoy photographing together so
0: it works yeah it's beautiful it's great to know uh to be aware of uh, another couple in the photography industry it's always very uplifting to 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 come across couples like yourself yeah <laughs> <laughs> what camera equipment do you use
1: uh, so I use the Canon R5 mirrorless system, which I've been using, I don't know, maybe six months. Uh, the So as we just discussed, I married a ph- to a photographer. So upgrading to two Canon R5s and all the the RF lenses was pretty intense last year, but we made the decision that we'd since this is the main thing that we do, we'd rather invest in it now and to have all the features for the future. So I use the, so the R5 camera, and then the RF lenses ranging from 14 millimeters to 500 millimeters, um, and all the lenses in between. And I use all of those lenses for all different kinds of photography. So sometimes I'll use my 14 uh, millimeter lens for the small scene stuff. Sometimes I'll use the 500 for plant photography. So it's a really versatile system for me. And I know that a lot of people say gear doesn't matter and you can, any photographer can get any great photo with any piece of equipment. And I believe that that's true. But there have also been some things about the mirrorless system that have totally changed my photography. So, like the electronic viewfinder is such an incredibly handy tool, like to be able to see the histogram and the level and exposure information right in the viewfinder. uh, That's really helpful. Focus peaking for things like handheld macro photography or plant photography, the being able to do the autofocus bracketing. So uh, being able to take a handheld focus stack, that's been something that's opened up all sorts of creative opportunities. And then the image stabilization for that camera has been fantastic. Uh, we were just down in the Texas cypress swamps and we're photographing from kayaks. It's near sunrise and near sunset, and we weren't using tripods and I'm not a terribly stable person. So I have trouble handholding my equipment generally, but that was the first time I had really used the image stabilization. So sitting in a kayak, slightly drifting because of the wind and then being able to get sharp photographs without a tripod so in a moving boat was absolutely fantastic so it felt like this camera that was that trip was the realization for me that this camera has really opened up all sorts of opportunities for creating photographs that i otherwise wouldn't have been able to create so that's a vote for that particular uh, set of equipment it's really fantastic it really feels like the perfect set of equipment for a nature photographer
0: it's incredible. It's amazing that you found equipment that works for you and I completely understand what you mean. I remember when I upgraded to a full frame sensor, 5G Mark II, I was so blown away. I was like, I can capture more with this camera. <laughs> I was just so thrilled. So it is always a pleasure to find equipment that works for you and complements your style. Yeah, exactly. And like opens up those
1: creative opportunities. So yes, I can create photographs with my phone, or I could use my first camera that I got, which was a Canon 5D that I could still be, I feel like I could still create great photographs that make me perfectly happy and are technically competent with that equipment. But there are some, some new technologies that have just like completely revolutionized the, the types of things that you're able to do, which is very exciting.
0: Absolutely, definitely. Before you got into photography, you had a highly stressful career, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to, and that wasn't making you happy. Your passion for photography provided you with an opportunity to change that. What was that process like, and what advice would you give to people who want to break free?
1: Yeah, uh, so I was working at a nonprofit organization And me and another staff person were filling the role of co-director on a like for a year time frame. The organization had gone through some serious turmoil, and she and I had stepped up and asked the board for a year to turn around the organization. So, it was both one of the most Professionally fulfilling things that I've ever done, but it was also incredibly stressful. I was in graduate school at the time, uh, getting a master's in public affairs and working in this very crazy full time job. So I was between school and work and other require other things that I was expected to do uh, at that point in my life. I was working anywhere between like 60 and 80 hours between homework and, and work. So it was pretty much like the only outlet I had was photography where I would, or it was actually, it started with hiking. So like going to the mountains, the nearby mountains were and going hiking, that was the only time I felt like my mind stopped, where I actually had a moment of peace where I wasn't either thinking about work or school or something else that was very stressful. So I started bringing along a camera. I think this is very similar for a lot of nature photographers, where you start, you spend some time in nature, then you start bringing along a camera, and then you realize, oh, I'm kind of obsessed with this photography thing. Uh, So I just started making more and more time for photography and had a couple of wake up calls along the way. Uh, The most obvious that I remember was uh, Ron and I were and at the edge of a canyon rim over an incredible viewpoint. And I was sitting in the car, working, working, working as this incredible sunset was happening. And we had radios. So he was out at the edge of the canyon and I was sitting in the car working and he kept on radioing to me, like, you need to come out here, this is amazing. And it was just like, what am I doing? Like, why, I, why am I sitting in the car? when I'm in this beautiful backcountry location with the perfect sunrise or sunset, like the thing that you envision in your mind that you want in terms of clouds and weather. And I finally decided after this type of thing had happened a number of times that I wanted more control over my time. So that process happened very slowly and in lots of stages. So I quit my full-time job. I started a consulting business where I was working with nonprofits and foundations on things like strategy and fundraising and evaluation. Um, So I could choose the types of projects that would give me more flexibility. So I could be intense on a project and then I would have a little bit more time where I could travel or I could work remotely for a little bit of time. And then as I started that consulting business, I had more time for photography. So I dipped my toe into the world of photography uh, in terms of a business. So I started first, like the very first thing that we did was we wrote an ebook about Iceland. So right as Iceland was starting to come on the photographic map, we had taken three trips there and then decided that there were no resources about Iceland. So we wrote a location guide to Iceland. And then from there, I started writing some other photography eBooks. And I started doing more writing where I was being paid for my writing. So it was really a continuum of working crazy, crazy hours, and then slowly making the decision of this isn't working. How can I change what my life looks like? Uh, And then eventually getting to the point where we moved, we now live in a much less intense place, I, my photography is now my full business. So it was that full life change. Uh, and so that question of like, what advice would you give for people who want to break free? I think it's the first is realizing what you want and then thinking about the plan to get there and realizing that it could mean that your life looks entirely different. Um, and that can be really scary and it can be really exciting. In my case, I think it's worked out really well, but it's also like I my life looks completely different than it did 6 years ago so and i think the the main piece of advice that if you want to transition from doing something else to photography is that it's not necessarily the photography skills it's the business skills and that i had the benefit of working with nonprofits and foundations on uh, how to be more effective in terms of strategy and management. So I actually brought a lot of skills, even though I was working in the nonprofit sector. I, those are all still businesses, and I built up a lot of skills that are now transferable to my photography business. So it's that's a it's not a straightforward answer. It's like a lot of little decisions that over time add up and building the skills that are necessary to build a successful small business. Like it took like 10 years from, I think I quit that. I quit my full-time job 10 or 11 years ago. And I, then I started a full-time photography business in 2020. So that's a long transition to get to that point.
0: Absolutely. And the key word here, I think is slowly. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think, or I know some photographers, they be, be, become full-time photographers, they commit to that, and it's a very quick process for them. So it's different for everybody, but I think it also has the potential to be a very slow process where you take small steps and then eventually you see the bigger picture and you're able to be successful. So it's uh, I think it's good for the listeners um, to, to know this information because, yeah, if there's somebody who's struggling with starting uh, or pursuing a full-time career as a photographer, it doesn't have to be an overnight success thing at all.
1: Yeah, and I think for a lot of people who envision it, I I think you can, it's so easy with social media to look at someone's business and think, oh, they quit their job and all of a sudden they're filling workshops. There's probably a lot more behind the scenes that you aren't seeing. If you're a risk taker and you have a a cushion of money where you feel like you can quit your job and immediately transition to full-time photography and you have a runway of financial runway or some kind of support system, Mm For some people, that can actually work. Uh, it can work tremendously well for some people. I think for a lot of other people, that sometimes it's smarter to just to dip your toe into it and see if you even like being a photographer uh, as a full time job. Because, like all the stuff that I was talking about at the beginning of our conversation, a lot of people don't like that kind of stuff. That it's like the the business side isn't fun for some people. So if you don't think you're going to enjoy that, give it a try, do a a couple part-time projects, assess how it went, and then decide whether or not it makes sense to go forward. Uh, That you don't have to make the, the all or nothing decision initially.
0: Absolutely. I believe nobody should be pressured to do that. And you're right, what you said about social media. We do tend to get this idea that everybody's living their perfect lives and everything is going well for everybody, but we definitely don't see the behind the scenes. Um, a lot of people say that, of course, but I think we should definitely mention it more often, especially in the photography community.
1: Yeah, like if, if something looks really easy, it's probably because the person is so good at it and they've built up skills over many years to get that good. At
0: That's, something. Right. That's right. So. I agree with you. You said that you have, uh, thanks to your background uh, working with social, uh, with nonprofit organizations and just your commitment to your business, you were able to create something that worked for you. Do you have any business strategy tips for photographers who want to pursue full time careers? Yeah, I think the first thing is spending some time on
1: introspection and thinking. So, so if I'm leaving a job, what do I want my life to look like? Like, what what am I leaving that I don't like? And what would I want to change? Because one thing I have seen with some peers is that they feel like they're in a super stressful job. Maybe they have a type A personality where they're, they tend towards being a workaholic. Like if you don't change some of those habits, you're just going to repeat those habits in your photography business. So if, if you like that, that's perfectly fine. But if you're trying to, maybe have a slower, more relaxing, less stressful life where you feel like you have more time for photography and uh, some of the things that you enjoy, then that might require adjusting some of your work habits. So for me, it was a lot of introspection about like what in this other life isn't working and what, how do I want my business to look different? So uh, one of the things that was a big decision point for me is I want an open schedule. The most important thing to me is that I want to be able to say, oh, fall colors in this particular place look interesting. I want to be able to go to that place without a lot of like, well, I have five workshops. So that means I'm like, I have this, this succession of workshops in these particular places every autumn. So that means I'm not going to have the flexibility to go do what I'm interested in. So that means for me that having a lot of really full workshop schedule isn't a good choice because the thing that is most important to me is that I want flexibility and I want more control over my time. So that means doing projects with the eye control are a better fit for me. So that means things like writing eBooks, doing video tutorials, uh, speaking or teaching and things that are more limited and have less of a requirement of my time, that those are the things that are the best fit for me. Uh, And so that, that process of thinking about like, what do I want my life to look like? And then how can I match some business strategies to what I want my life to look like? I think that's probably the most helpful place to start if your decision to want to be a photographer is more lifestyle oriented. Um, if it's more business oriented, then I think the questions are totally different. Like Because teaching workshops for nature photographers is often one of the best ways to make a full time living so then th- that's an entirely different set of business decisions so that's one of those conversations that so individualized but for me the most important thing was figuring out what I wanted my life to look like and what I was good at and how I could pair those two things so that I felt like I was amplifying my skills and living a life that made me happy
0: that's great advice. And you're right. It's, uh, there are different situations and we have to first uh, and foremost understand ourselves in our situation and what works for us. But I like what you said about workshops and uh, alternatives to workshops. Uh, of course, it's true that workshops are one of the best ways to earn a full-time living um, as a nature photographer. But you also mentioned video tutorials and writing ebooks. I like that there are all these alternatives because as we just discussed, there are different kinds of people who want to pursue different lifestyles. So maybe workshops might not be a good option for one person uh, and uh, video tutorials might be absolutely perfect for them instead. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah.
1: And the we like you, you being able to do a podcast as an individual, like the lack of gatekeepers and all of the very affordable technology that allows us to do these kinds of things. Um, like I told my neighbor who he's, he speaks a lot on his mountaineering background. He's older now, but he is, he had these crazy expeditions in the Himalayan mountains. And so he speaks a lot about those experiences and almost all of his speaking engagements are booked through some kind of intermediary. So I was telling him about our business model and how big our mailing list is like our email marketing list. And he was absolutely shocked that like as an individual person that I have this big mailing list and I can reach people through that mailing list without having to work through any intermediaries or any gatekeepers and the same same thing for your podcast you can choose how to who you want to interview how you want to communicate it how you want to distribute it of course you have to work with some podcast platforms but like the the Technology and the opportunities that we have available to us means that you can really, in a lot of ways, create your own dis- destiny in a way that people couldn't even five years ago. So I think that's another really exciting piece about starting a photography business is that you don't necessarily have to use a model this worked for somebody else. There are all sorts of tools and resources to create something that works for you based on your individual skills and interests.
0: I completely agree. Yeah, that's the exciting thing about photography and technology. You're right. Even a few years ago, some of the things that we do now wouldn't have been possible or they would have been, like I said, these far fetched ideas, but now they're just within our reach. As long yeah. as we know what to say and how to network or just to present ourselves online and it's all about taking initiative and trying new things so yeah it's it's a very exciting it's I think it's an incredibly exciting time for photographers now of of all genres of all niches it's uh it's an incredible opportunity for people to express themselves in all kinds of ways yeah I completely agree as you mentioned in your introduction you specialize uh, in a lot of interesting things within the genre of nature photography Uh, an important part of your work uh, is something you call small scenes. Could you explain what small scene photography is and why you're drawn to it?
1: Yeah, so I think of small scenes as pretty much everything that isn't a grand landscape with a sky. So that can include intimate landscapes, which are often uh, kind of what I think of as little vignettes of nature. So maybe an interesting set of layers off in the distance or a little swirl of fog on a mountaintop or a collection of interesting trees where you're isolating that scene that connected with you uh, and photographing that. So that I would consider more of an intimate landscape. Often those are taken with telephoto lenses and uh, just isolating bigger details in nature, but often not including the sky or that really expansive view. And then uh, for me, I would also then extend that to things like uh, portraits of plants. I have a huge fascination in plants and botany, so I really enjoy photographing plants and learning about the natural world and the places that I visit through the plant life and the trees and um, just the how those fit into ecosystems. So my photography definitely includes lots and lots of plants. Uh, and then... Things like macro photography, where it could be just a single flower, it could be a little bit of lichen, could be interesting patterns on a, on some bark, uh, little details on something like uh, like little grains of sand that are interesting. So little tiny details in nature. So for me, small scenes encompasses all of that, from intimate landscapes to plant portraits of plants and trees to macro photography, where we're working with the very smallest subjects. So that's how I would explain what I consider to be small scenes. And then the reasons that I'm drawn to this kind of photography is that I think it The most important reason is that it fits in with my view of nature photography, which is I want to have an expansive view of the photographic world, so that means I want to be able to photograph in any landscape I visit at any time of day under any type of light so that might mean that I can create my own shade or that I'm going to work in black and white where harsh light actually works. Um, I just enjoy being out in the natural world at all times of day. And I don't wanna be limited in my photography to like the 30 minutes around sunrise and the 30 minutes around sunset when there's a chance for colorful clouds. So by having an interest in these details in nature, I can really expand how I practice my photography. Uh, I also feel like including these types of photographs helps me tell a much more complete story of the places that I visit. So I will absolutely photograph the bigger landscapes, but I also really enjoy photographing the details that help fill in that story and tell uh, or show people a little bit more about an ecosystem or the details that you might not see unless you're very carefully observing. And then I feel like small scenes help, photographing small scenes help me connect more deeply with a landscape. So the observation piece that I just mentioned, I now notice things that I would have never noticed before. And by noticing those little details, I feel a lot more connected to the places that I visit. And I feel like I care about them a lot more. I have a much deeper understanding. I'm definitely not a trained naturalist, but I feel like I'm a naturalist in training. And that is. The idea that I want to learn about an ecosystem and then I want to reflect those that learning and connection through my photography, I think, is another extension of why small scenes fit well into my photographic portfolio. Uh, Like there's a particular plant in that grows in a few locations in Death Valley National Park. And I've really wanted to see this particular plant in person. So we've been hiking to a variety of deep canyons within the park with the goal of finding some of these rare plants. And we actually found one of them uh, last year. And that desire to see these plants in person led me to explore more, to visit new locations, to see the landscape more completely, to go to places that I otherwise never would have gone. So I think all of those things come together in terms of the benefits and the reasons why I pursue this kind of photography.
0: It sounds really exciting, and I completely understand why you're so drawn to small scenes. As you said, uh, it just gives you more flexibility. You don't need to feel limited by your environment. You can create your own environment anywhere you like, essentially, and yeah, that's very inspiring. I've seen a lot of your small scene photos, and They're a world of their own. It's like a completely different universe. And sometimes I have to, I've had to look at your work a little bit more to understand what the subject is. I think that's what makes your work so exciting. It really reflects your passion for nature and um, the fact that you're so in awe of it. I think that's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that feedback. You have two Instagram accounts. One is for your color photography and one is for black and white photography. Some photographers have separate accounts, others don't. What kind of photographers, in your opinion, should follow your approach and create separate accounts for different niches?
1: Well, this is probably one of those places where my advice isn't necessarily the best advice, uh, because my strategy for social media is that I don't enjoy it (laughs) and um, I don't utilize it nearly as much as I should. So if I were using my Instagram account more for my business... I would treat it totally differently. Like recently I've thought about turning off the comments entirely because I find it stressful. Um, I take photographs purely because I enjoy the natural world and I enjoy writing about photography and I enjoy sharing my photography in full portfolios. I feel like sharing a fo- one photo here, one photo there on Instagram is just so out of sync with how I view my my photographic work. Because like a single photo of some random patterns on a little patch of bark, like sharing that on Instagram, it just doesn't really make sense. But if you see it in a full portfolio of, oh, this little bit of bark also, relates to these slime molds that were growing on a different part of that tree. And then you add in the moss and you add in some interesting leaves and some ripples in the cascades. And that starts telling a story of what it was like to hike down this particular trail. But that little piece of bark all by itself kind of just doesn't, it, it, standing alone on Instagram, it just doesn't make sense. So th- I'll preface my answer with, I don't post consistently. I don't have a very good strategy and every time i post i just feel like ugh i don't enjoy this but <laughs> to answer your question i feel like the the way that i like presenting my work is more in portfolios so where the, the photos within a portfolio amplify one another and help tell a more complete story. So I feel like isolating my black and white work from my color work helps me tell those stories more effectively independently, especially with black and white photography. I think it often looks better together when it's when you can see through say 12 photos on that are all in a little grid on a, a phone screen that those amplify each other. They communicate things about how I see the natural world and uh, how I then translate it into black and white and how I treat things like light and uh, what kind of light I like to work with and how I treat contrast and that just generally how I wanna present those subjects. So when you see just black and white, I think it looks a lot more interesting and Uh, cohesive if it's presented by itself and I would say generally the same thing for color but like I don't necessarily like how my my color Instagram account looks because it feels kind of haphazard I've started thinking about I'm just going to do like 25 or what would be like 29 photos I guess anything divided by three Um, so seven rows of three photos that would only be green so that the entire screen would be filled by green. And then I would transition to blue so that the next phase of, of photos that would fill the screen would be blue. Uh, so those are the types of things that I'm thinking about when I present my ph- photography in portfolios, like an ebook or one of these book projects I'm going to be working on. And that, that doesn't translate very well to Instagram. So that's what I'm trying to accomplish with having two separate accounts. And the way that that then could translate to answering your question about what photographers might want to consider following this approach is if you have very two very different pursuits and in some way you want to maybe market different, market to completely different audiences, then it could make sense to separate uh, if you are truly, or if you're only trying to build an audience, then having separate accounts means you're just doing double the work. So if you're, for people who maybe have a nature business and have a wedding business, then separating can make sense. Um, But then for some people that doesn't or they can combine their work and still have it look cohesive. So the way that I do it is like, I don't even like my color and black and white work on the same Instagram account, but people like Victoria Hack, she has nature photography. She has her engagement work, her portrait work, wedding work all in one place. And it looks fantastic together. So that's where I, I go back to that what I keep on saying over and over is it really depends on what you individually are trying to achieve through your work. And so for me, I have these very particular goals for how I, want to, how I want to present my work. So it makes sense for me to separate it. Whereas other people, I think if like Victoria, I think she's a great example of where her style is really consistent throughout her work and it looks beautiful in one place. And so by keeping it all in one place, she's able to build it and- an audience all in one place instead of having to duplicate work. So I don't think there's a right answer. I think it really is, what are you trying to achieve? Uh, Is it really important for your work to look very cohesive uh, or are you willing to have a little bit of, uh, mix it up a little bit and that you're getting good engagement on all those different posts, like looking at a little bit of data. So thinking through some of those questions and then making that decision based on what you're trying to accomplish.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And something else I want to point out is that despite the fact that you don't like social media and you don't use it consistently, as you said earlier, you have a strong mailing list. So you've got your own business separate, sort of uh, on its own, and you're thriving there. So that's good to know as well. A lot of photographers that I've interviewed have said something similar in the sense that it's not just on social media. So like if social media doesn't work for you, it doesn't mean that you have to be on it all the time 24-7.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like our mailing list is the core of our business. So uh, when I sell something or like I want to launch an ebook or some other product, our mailing list is probably 80% of the sales. And if I did more on social media, I'm sure that it would pay off. I just... Uh, it deflates me, so I I don't spend a lot of time on social media. The only social media platform I like is Twitter, and it's toxic for all sorts of other reasons. So, uh, but for me, investing time in building a mailing list and putting out a newsletter that feels substantive and has what I see as some thoughtful resources fits much better with my personality and who I am as a person than presenting one-off photos uh, that are engaged with like for a second on Instagram. Like that my work just doesn't fit as well with social media as it does with a mailing list. So that's why I've chosen to invest a lot more time in the mailing list.
0: Completely understand what you mean. Social media deflates me as well. (laughs) yeah but for some people, I have a friend. She loves social media and inspires her. So it's been a good lesson for me to not push my like perspective on other people and to just appreciate that there are different kinds of people out there. Um but yeah, it's always nice to meet someone who you know has things like mailing lists and focuses on other aspects of the photography industry that don't necessarily involve social media all the time,
1: yeah. And I feel like like this is another part about it, if we're going back to building a sustainable business. If social media drains you and it makes you feel like like the fear of missing out or you're constantly comparing how many, the type of engagement that you get on your photos to compared to what other people get on their photos, like all of those toxic habits, if that's making you feel bad about yourself, or your photography or your business, then it's not going to, it's not going to encourage a lot of sustainability and like that longevity. So that's why in my case, I've chosen to focus on things that I enjoy and that I feel are much more suited to my personality. Uh, It means that I'm probably missing a good avenue for uh, building an income stream, but I guess I'm willing to sacrifice that in, in exchange for having a more sustainable
0: business that I feel excited about absolutely i want to ask you a question but i'm not sure if you'd be comfortable with it so i am going to ask you beforehand uh, so okay you mentioned your mailing list um i think a lot of people are confused about how to build a mailing list so would that be okay if i asked you um, yeah okay absolutely so you mentioned that you have a mailing list and you focus a lot on that i'm sure some people aren't really sure um about how mailing lists work. So, how do you go about building a mailing list? How do you find people who want to read newsletters for you, for example?
1: Well, the so the first clarification that I think is important is when I'm talking about a mailing list, I'm talking about collecting emails through my website or through other lead-generating activities. So for me, my mailing list. I'd say probably 95% of the people that end up on my mailing list are people that come to our website. And uh, we have on our homepage, we have a link in the menu that says subscribe or sign up. I can't remember exactly which. And then on the homepage, a little, right under the, the main, uh, there's a photo and then a couple of photos that are things like blogs, posts, photo portfolios and other things right under that is another uh, subscribe option. And then we have a pop-up that I think it's set for 10 seconds or 30 seconds that pops up and says, would you like to join our mailing list? So that's the first thing is having a number of points on your website where people can actually sign up. And then the other thing that is one just a common tactic for building a mailing list is having some kind of lead magnet or Uh, something that entices people to want to sign up. So in our case, we have a free ebook that is in (laughs) desperate need of updating. That's on my to-do list for this month. Uh, But that if you sign up for the mailing list, then you get something in return. So some photographers do things like presets or a free tutorial video, maybe uh, like an ebook like I just described, maybe a set of, if if you're doing things like uh, Lightroom tutorials or Photoshop tutorials, maybe a set of actions or some kind of workflow, like a workflow PDF. So those are the types of things that you can offer for free that would encourage people to sign up for your mailing list. So those are the the main things that we've done. And at this point, we have a multi-thousand person mailing list uh, that requires tending. Like you have to babysit the like like, who's opening your messages and if people aren't engaged then cleaning them out so that you keep a clean list because with a lot of email providers uh, if you get dinged for sending spam then your messages aren't delivered as consistently. Uh, they're marked as spam and end up in spam folders instead of inboxes. So it does take some tending and work on understanding how to make sure that your messages are relevant and deliverable, that they aren't marked as spam, and then actually sending consistent messages. So I generally send out maybe one newsletter a month, and it's I try to have it be almost entirely focused on not selling. So we include new photographs information about our recent travels, sometimes I include an article that's just for people on our list. And then I include a lot of other links to people that I think are doing interesting photography work or blog posts that I like, of interesting videos, uh, things that are, I think will be a good resource for the people on our list. So from my perspective, One of the things that I want my business to be, I want to be seen as a resource, essentially. Uh, And I want to be seen as somebody who provides good, curated, thoughtful information. So those are the types of things that I try to provide through our regular newsletters. And then I'm hoping that by providing all of that information, that when I send out something that's a sales pitch, either for an ebook or signing up for a conference, signing up for a workshop, that... I'm building my reputation through those newsletters. So people see me as a resource and then think, oh, like I'd be happy to spend $25 to get this information from Sarah. So that's kind of the process that I see of, of you get people to sign up, you provide them good information. And then my strategy is much more gentle in terms of sales than a lot of other photographers, but it's been working well. So that that's how I see the very basic process of building a mailing list. There are a lot of resources uh, if you if people are interested in learning more, a lot of resources around generating passive income. Uh, i all include information about building a mailing list. So passive income would, is when you've put together something like a video tutorial and then you sell it on your website for the foreseeable future and it passively generates income. Um, so usually building a mailing list is part of that process. Any uh, online marketing or um, email marketing course will have information about all of those different steps um, and how you can build funnels and other things that like get people in to read a blog post and then you might, well, I I won't go down all those details because people can find them out for themselves, but there are all sorts of resources about how the formula of building a mailing list. And if you follow that formula and you provide good, consistent information, that's another great example of how affordable tools make this kind of thing completely possible for any photographer, like with MailChimp, which is what we used to use. And we just recently switched to a different provider, but with MailChimp, it's free for your first 2000 subscribers. So you can do it without even any financial investment at first.
0: That's incredible. Thank you for sharing so much and valuable information. I love the way that you interact with your subscribers, the way that you describe it. To me, it sounds like building a community, building genuinely building trust. And then when you feel like there's something that you really want to share, like a sales pitch, then you do it, but it's not aggressive. I like that. Uh, Basically, it's a form of social media, right? But it's not limited to a specific format. You decide the format. You can design these newsletters that you send out. And uh, essentially, there's no middlemen, as you mentioned earlier in this conversation. So, yeah, it's yeah, really exactly. a very wholesome way to build a community.
1: <laughs> and you know, I know I'm leaving money on the table, but in terms of business, so I, I don't look at my photography business as just a revenue generator. Uh, like I could probably sell a lot more ebooks and a lot more videos if I pushed it more aggressively, like by sending out sales newsletters or sending out coupon codes, all of that sort of thing. But I feel like back to the sustainable business, if I'm doing that all the time, I'm going to get totally burnt out on it. Uh, So I just do what I need to sustain the amount of income that I need to earn and uh, do it in a way that feels good for me.
0: That's right. You're doing a wonderful job. One of your motives as a nature photographer is to leave something better than you found it, to leave it better than you found it. You share many helpful conservation tips with your followers on social media. Could you share some, some of those tips with the listeners?
1: Yeah. So this idea of the leave it better than you found it is something that I first heard from Phil Monson. So if you haven't followed Phil, uh, I would highly encourage you to find him on Instagram. He I, he's a true advocate in terms of leaving nature better than you found it. He's organized litter cleanups. He wrote a book for children about how to be a good steward of the natural world. Uh, he's He provides all sorts of educational information about why it's important to think about yourself as a steward of the natural world. So I would recommend for any of your listeners who want to just be inspired by an individual person doing, making a difference, uh, Phil is somebody who's doing great work in this area. So uh, related to that, I was part of a group that founded the Nature First Photography Alliance, which is the whole point of Nature First is to develop a set of principles that essentially communicate how we can enjoy nature photography more responsibly. Because when I got started in nature photography, probably 12 or 13 years ago now, like when I was very initially picking up a camera, there were the community of nature photographers, at least in Colorado, was quite small. They were all generally coming to the natural world through an interest in hiking or an interest in backpacking or uh, some connection with conservation. So the, the path to becoming a nature photographer included a lot of education along the way. So you would learn about Leave No Trace, you would learn about how to be responsible with campfires, how to tread lightly on the land, And there were just fewer of us. So even if you did things like going off trail, there weren't enough people going off trail to really make an impact. Well, fast forward to the Instagram era and we're in a totally different situation where there are many, many, many more times the number of nature photographers. So doing things like leaving the trail in a popular place can mean that you're now trampling say wildflowers in a place like Mount Rainier National Park. If you you go out into a field of wildflowers, it's probably not a huge deal. If 20 people do it, then you're starting to leave user trails. Let's say 150 people do it or a thousand people do it, then you're completely transforming the landscape. So it's important to think about prioritizing the well-being of nature over your photography and thinking about treading more lightly so The whole goal, that backstory is the reason that I, along with some other Colorado-based photographers created this Nature First organization. And I can very quickly read through the seven principles just for so your audience can hear them. And then if people are interested, you can go to naturefirstphotography.org to learn a little bit more. I'm no longer affiliated with the organization, but I fully believe in these principles. So prioritize the well being of nature over photography, uh, educate yourself about the places you photograph. So, for that one, in Utah, for example, going off trail, you might be trampling cryptobiotic soil. And that's a type of soil that If you trample it, it will take, could take decades to replace it. And those are important soil communities that help with erosion control and other things uh, that if those communities are being damaged and mass that can have a real impact on that landscape. So that's an example of why it's important to educate yourself so that, you know, if you're in the Colorado plateau, you shouldn't be going off trail and you should be watching for that cryptobiotic soil. Uh, Reflect on the possible impact of your actions, use discretion if sharing locations, know and follow rules and regulations, always follow leave no trace principles and strive to leave places better than you found them and actively promote and educate others about these principles. So uh, those are some things to think about just to have to be a more responsible nature photographer. And again, I think it almost all goes back to the fact that there are just so many more people pursuing nature photography and going to sensitive locations so uh, you might not think that sharing that one place on social media will have that big of an impact but the next person that sees that post might share it on all trails and then the next time you come back you'll see that that beautiful field of wildflowers or that um, that grove of aspens that had a beautiful understory like now those those plants are all trampled all because you might've been the first person to share that information online. So uh, we should all just think more about the potential impact of our actions and then do things that can make that mean that our photography will just have less of an impact on the places that we visit. Another thing that I do is I donate to all sorts of conservation organizations. If I visit a place, I try to donate to the, 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 organization or an organization that is stewarding it so that I'm helping those organizations do their work and investing some of my income back into the places that I care most about.
0: Thank you for sharing that. It's definitely very important information, especially for nature photographers to keep in mind, but even for travelers, anyone who enjoys going out into the open and what you shared about wildflowers specifically, that's a very powerful example because When we travel, especially if we're alone, we think, I'm just going to go here and it's not going to have an impact on anyone or anything. But in reality, as you said, if it's hundreds of people doing the same thing, taking the same paths that aren't supposed to be taken, then it has uh, a tremendous, uh, tremendously negative effect on nature. And that, of course, impacts us at the end of the day as well. So it's definitely something we should be very conscious of as photographers, especially.
1: Yeah. And when you start seeing places that you've been that you were at say 10 years ago and then you go back to them and they're completely transformed like the number of lakes that I visited where the entire shoreline has been trampled or riparian areas that have been completely damaged you start realizing that it it just seems like such an innocent act for you to to step off trail or for to walk through that field of wildflowers or um to like walk to a little bit better viewpoint, but then there'll be somebody who will follow you. And then a year later, that place could look completely different. Um, So just thinking a couple of steps ahead of your action, I think is a a helpful thing to think about in this Mm -hmm. context.
0: Absolutely, yeah, putting things in perspective. Sarah, I have one more question for you. And that is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? Well, I think increasingly
1: related to the last conversation that we or the last question that we talked through is conservation is one of the things that I'm I'm feeling like I want my photography to have more of a purpose. And I don't necessarily see myself at all as a conservation photographer. But I think that I, with my photography, one of the things that I have seen is that I have helped some people have a greater appreciation for the natural world. So seeing things that they might not have seen before and then potentially uh, by seeing those things, they in turn have a greater interest in them and then maybe learn more about an ecosystem and then maybe want to protect it. So I think that that's probably the place where I would like to have more of an impact in the future is helping people who are both photographers and non-photographers think more deeply about the natural world and the role that we all can play in protecting it and having a greater appreciation for places. So uh, I'm thinking about transforming how I write about the natural world, some of the places where I share my photography, every caption that I write, trying to infuse those kinds of messages. And just even though I know that I'll never have the impact of a true conservation photographer. I feel like by doing some of those things, I could have more of an impact um, on at least helping maybe people start seeing themselves as naturalists or caring more about conservation uh, and getting involved in some of some efforts to preserve and protect, especially the public lands in the American West, since that's the that's what I care most about. So that's a huge. It feels so intangible and so big, but um, I think that's, I think the tiny impact that I would hope to have with my photography uh, over time in the future.
0: I think you're already making a great impact by speaking about this on podcasts and your articles and on your website, even just things that you do as a solo photographer online can help many, many other people think different differently about nature, about photography, and can encourage them to lead better lives and to treat nature with more respect. So I thank you for that. And I want to thank you for all the wonderful things you shared during this interview. I learned a lot, especially about mailing lists. (laughs) Thank you for all the inspiration. Yeah, well, it was so great to talk
1: with you. And I It's crazy, like 10 years ago, I would have never thought I'd be sitting here talking about myself and my photography. Um, And it's so it feels like a huge opportunity uh, to talk with you and to have your listeners listen to this discussion. So for that, I just have a significant amount of gratitude and thank you for. Um, Giving people like me an opportunity to talk about the thing that I care most about. So, thank you very much, Kaya. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, too. I appreciate you, too. And I wish you all the very best with your future photography projects. (laughs) Thank you. Great big photography world wouldn't be what it is without our incredible listeners. We're grateful for the time you take to listen to other photographers' stories and share your feedback with us. If you'd like to help us keep this podcast running smoothly, you can become a member on our website. In return, for your help, we'll provide you with all kinds of exciting perks. Go to greatbigphotographyworld.com. There's a link to it in the show notes. I learned a lot about nature photography and business thanks to this episode, and I hope you learned a lot of things as well. What I personally found the most intriguing was the concept of small scenes. I would like to take some small scene photos myself in the future, and I also was inspired by the way that Sarah approaches business. So mailing lists and providing free resources and just interacting with people in an authentic way. its very inspiring to me. If you want to join the conversation, if you want to leave your own comments and ask questions, you're free to join our online photography community. We often share updates related to various photography genres. We share tips, we share inspiration. It's a really nice place to beat new people and to also get constructive criticism, join photo contests. I mean, I think we have almost everything in our community, so you're free to join. It's completely free, and we look forward to seeing you there. There's a link in the description. Make sure to join us and let us know that you're coming from this podcast, and you might get the chance to personally speak with one of our guests. See you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.